no matter how bad the markets get, no matter how much fear the media tries to uh, sell to us, no matter what, all we can do is just, you know, pick up the phone, call an owner and see if we can do a deal. Um, no matter what, there will always be deals happening, even in the worst of times. So um, that's the mindset that I try to carry in, in scarier times or slower times. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, this is Aaron Muchastegui. I am back interviewing today, and I get the benefit of being able to interview Jason Lee from JLM Real Estate, San Diego, beautiful San Diego, California, for anybody that's been out to San Diego. And we are going to talk about real estate and uh, re representing investors and multifamily investors and all the stuff that he's doing with his brokerage out there. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. Yeah. When, how long did you get into real estate? Uh, I got in at 20, um, when I was still a student in college in 2018. So 2018, what made you think that like while you're studying college? Because I know a lot of time when you're in college, people are thinking, I'm going to go use my degree to go do this, 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 and this. What made you think about real estate? Yeah, um, the thing that got me thinking about real estate was honestly, I saw that a lot of my friends that I had made relationships with at San Diego State, a lot of the the most successful families they came from were all in either real estate or some sort of business, um, but they all own property. So uh, that got me really interested in it. Um, I was going down a pretty boring, um, unfulfilling path uh, that my parents kind of put on me. I wanted, they wanted me to be a, a doctor, um, you know, go, go into medicine and just not what I really wanted to do. So I think um, hitting rock bottom in college and then just kind of thinking what I really wanted to do and finding real estate was like the biggest blessing for me. So ever since then, my, my life's been totally different. Yeah. So did you end up finishing college or did you, did you get to a point where you're like, I don't need to do this. I'm going to do real estate instead. Yeah, definitely had those thoughts, but, um, you know, just for so, so close. I was, when I made the change, I was the second semester, third year junior. So, I only had three semesters left, so I changed my major to communication, the easiest major I could find, and then just focused solely on real estate the last you know year and a half of college. Fair enough. So you're in real estate, and what were you doing deals while you were in college? Yeah, um, the first the first uh, six months I did not. I started as an intern. I was still getting my license, but like six months into the business, uh, I did my first deal, which is a crazy story. But did my first deal, and then I did about four, five total before graduating. So I had a little bit of a nest egg uh, to really go into it in uh, full time and not worry about uh, money too much. So uh, yeah, did some deals before graduating. So tell me about that first one. Tell me about that crazy story. Yeah. First deal I did, um, it was a $800,000 fourplex in a classy location here in San Diego. And um you know, as you probably know better than me, the first year of real estate is the toughest year. It's where you go through a lot of um, a lot of downs, a lot of rejections, a lot of uh, a lot of outreach, cold calling. And um, I was six months in. I'd you know gotten rejected probably over five thousand times by property owners, and I finally got this lead and met with them and ended up getting a listing. But 
Um, the day after we got the listing signed, uh, the owner unexpectedly passed away uh, through, I think, it was, yeah, some sort of accident, like a car accident. And anyways, after that happened, the property went to probate because he didn't have a trust set up for his kids or his wife. So, um, you know, as you know, probate is when uh, basically the state or the county takes control of the property, uh, the rights if there's no trust. So it takes anywhere from one or two years for a probate attorney to get it out of probate into the owner's hands. So when that happened, you know, I almost quit real estate. I almost gave up, um, told myself I was going to, you know, go to my broker and say, I'm done with this, uh, find a new career path. So, but luckily the, uh, the attorney that was working on the case, uh, found some sort of loophole. I don't really know what he did. I was so young and dumb back then, but he ended up getting it out within like a month or two and ended up closing, you know, a few weeks after that. So, uh, that was a crazy roller coaster ride. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I could see the, the mental roller coaster with that. Cause you're like, you get this listing, it's big deal, big dollars, maybe not huge dollars for San Diego, but huge dollars for like a student that gets his first deal, yeah. his first commission. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, this is in probate. So now it's like, it's not like a 30 day extension. Usually you're like, I don't even, so it might be it's a month. It might be six months. It might be two years before the state says, okay, these are the people that actually own it. Cause they need to determine who is actually inheriting this thing and what percentage and the, um, and so as they go to figure that out. And then once you have that, one of the toughest challenges with that is once you have, you know, nine family members that become, that start owning a property, right? Like, so a property that can get that, that is common. If somebody passes away, then there's a bunch of people that end up owning a small portion of it, getting them all to agree on a price and what's going to happen makes it extra challenging. So your first deal was really challenging. You almost lost it, almost quit. Then you got it. Um, and then what was, what was it like your first year when you got out of college? So I guess you, you probably finished college 2019, 2020. Um, when you, when you got, when you got to go into real estate full time, what were your transactions like and how were you making them happen? Uh, yeah, just quick numbers. Um, yeah, I graduated, um, summer of 2019. So that may In 2019, I closed total of, 12 transactions when I was a student half the year, you know, net commission to me was about $160,000. And then 2020 was where I really blew up during the pandemic when a lot of agents were, you know, not really working, stuck in fear. Uh, I was in the office every day. That year I did about 27 transactions, made like 650. And then um, in 2021 did almost 50 transactions for, for net commission about 1.6 million. And then 2022, uh, did about two million uh, in commissions for a little over fifty transactions as well. So, yeah, it, it's been a it, it's been a big growth ever since I graduated. I think what really put me ahead of the pack was starting uh, when I was still so young in school and learning from like a really strong uh, broker mentor that kind of taught me uh, the business, how to carry myself, how to sell, how to create relationships, having good systems. So, um, and now I've been able to you know pass that on to uh, to my agents that I have now uh, here in the office today. Uh, JLM Real Estate is including me, nine total agents, brokers, and then um, one marketing and operations person. So we've about 10 people so far, and uh, it's been going good. Uh, th that I opened JLM Real Estate, broke out on my own uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you 
this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used LineDesk, I've used Conversion, and I think Follow Boss gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple, and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like Follow Up Boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems, and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow Up Boss. Purely objective. Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial and check it out. Especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. So tell me a little bit about, like you you said, you got that first mentor, that first broker that taught you a bunch of stuff that you needed to know. Right. And then you were able to like, you were, you were young and you had energy and, and educated and you were able to drive with that. What are some of the things he taught you then that like you love teaching your agents now? Like, is there anything that he, like a saying that he gave you or a system that he gave you that now when you hire people on, you're like, this is what they told me and this is what I want to tell you. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I think one of the phrases that, um, you know, not phrase, but kind of like the concepts that stuck with me most, um, that was very practical is, you know, if you want to, you know, get ahead of the pack, if you want to beat the competition in your market, uh, you have to be talking to an, a minimum of 25 people a day. So you have to either be getting 25 yeses or 25 no's. Uh, usually it's 25 no's, right? So um, you got you to gotta be having conversations with 25 potential prospects a day. Uh, that usually takes about 100 to 150 calls to get to. Um, but I follow that system very rigidly. Um, you know, we have a CRM where we can easily follow up with people via task every three months um, via, um, via prospectnow.com. That kind of helps us stay organized and keep our leads in one place, but also always finding that new business and nurturing your warm and hot leads is like kind of the most important, like top of the funnel, what you need to know in order to actually get business. Um, something that also really stuck with me was 
a lot of people try to learn the whole business, like everything about contracts, everything about, you know, um, so all, all the little things that don't matter as much as finding a deal, right? So um, what I try to tell my agents is like, you know, focus on making relationships, focus on meeting with new clients. We still do training every week, but you don't have to know the entire business in order to get going. Uh, the most important thing to do is start. And a lot of people just try to like learn every single thing about real estate. But the only way to learn is by actually going through a full transaction, going through a full, you know, from listing to escrow to close. So that's something that um, I learned from my mentor that I've kind of instilled into uh, my crew here as well. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's like, you, hey, you're making 100, you got to talk to 25 people a day. A yes or a no. And the, that's a really easy to quantify. It's really easy to put on a list and it's really easy to figure out, did I do it today or not? I've got, I, I've got my daily goals that I like to look at, right? And I have this checklist. And some of it's like, did I take my vitamins today? Did I get my workout in today? You know, did I hit my golf balls? We got these things, but it's like, did I talk to my 25 people a day? And when you can easily check off. So I like that idea of like, Hey, you need to talk to 25 people a day. If you're going to grow in this business. And so then, you know, you're dialing until you hit that 25 and you're like, that's going to take 125, 150 outreach. What are your people, what sort of lead are you, are your people doing right now? To do that. So like, how are they finding 125 people to dial? How are they finding 25 people to talk to? Or how, how did you do it then? What's your, what's the best way a new agent or somebody trying to like a new, new and starting this method, what's the best way they can find people? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we're we're old school. Um, I, I've tried to work with like, you know, pulling property lists from title officers and then, you know, getting those lists to people, um, you know, who skip trace them for you on like Fiverr and stuff. I've tried that. Um, it doesn't work. I've tested both methods. Um, the old school method, I feel like works better for commercial real estate. Um, just because with commercial real estate, there's a lot of properties held in LLCs, family trusts, corporations, and um, it's tougher for, you know, just people to automate that and find all the correct phone numbers. So, um, you know, we, we manually find, you know, our own owners, our own, um, people to call. So we're spending at least three or four hours a day, um, farming, finding new uh, potential people to dial. And then, um, then we put those people into a list or CRM and then we're just calling through those, um, as we find new numbers. So, yeah, I mean, super, super old school, super simple, but, um, it, you know, it works. I think, I think people get, I myself and other people get caught up in like trying to find the perfect CRM or the perfect, um, you know, automation tools. But, you know, in reality, you just got to do the work and, you know, put in, get the numbers in order to, uh, like the number of contacts in order to move forward in the business. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was doing some outbound texting with some of our software last, you know, last week and it was like waiting for a couple of callbacks. And then it was finally like, you know, what, I'm just going to pick up and call this guy. And we try to, you know, and it's just like going through the volume whereas you're trying to perfect things that are different where the system doesn't quite work. And it's like, no, just getting into action is getting into action and working toward something. And that makes a lot of sense with commercial real estate, because I guess with commercial real estate and for real, for real estate agents that only do like single family homes or residential real estate, I think you can use this to get leads for you know, essentially a commercial real estate is an investor. The cool thing about an investor is an investor could be a buyer or a seller. Right. If you are reaching out to everybody that owns an apartment, you get to say, hey, do you want to sell your apartment and or, hey, do you want to buy another apartment? And the because they get to do both sides. So like agents, you know, single family residential agents, if you guys are trying to, you know, go farm your own list 
old school, like what Jason's talking about. You can, there's lots of software out there, tax records. You can go, you can go through and look for like all the people, all the houses that are owned in an LLC in a neighborhood, right? Like there's a decent chance that that's an investor, uh, right? Like there's a more than likely chance that that's an investor, or you can find people that own more than one property when you sort those tax rolls by name, but however you're doing it, you're going to go through and you start to figure out who's this prospect. But the cool thing about an investor prospect is they could be a buyer or a seller. So when you're doing that first outreach, it's like, hey, do you have any interest in selling this house? Or hey, do you have any interest in buying another and getting to put them into that bucket? What are your goals for this next year? Yeah, I would say this next year, it's more of a team goal. Um, you know, we kind of set a team goal to for all of us to sell like a total of $200 million as a firm, um, try to help at least, try to help at least, you know, 50 to 60 clients. But yeah, I, I just have a team goal this year. I just want everyone on my team to do, do well, everyone to move forward and, you know, grow their businesses. So, uh, yeah, the only goal we really have in mind is, you know, 200 million in volume to, uh, to move everyone forward as a team. You know, there's a common challenge with growing teams right now especially in like the high, really, really high dollar commissions is I think brokers and agents have a really tough time with going like, if I do this listing myself, if I do, if I work on this client myself, if I do this deal myself, I get this giant commission. And if I get this lead and I take it myself, I get this giant commission. And if I share it, I'm giving away a giant commission. I'm losing a giant commission. What would you tell people that are having that mindset of feeling like, it's like, I guess it's like a combination of FOMO and something else. It's just a lot of people struggle as they start to build out their teams of, hey, um, yes, they're getting that commission, but but the same feeling of I'm also losing a commission. Does that happen? Does that feeling happen in commercial? How do you how do you get over that or how have you overcome that as you've grown? Yeah, you know, in, in the beginning, I, I, I did have those thoughts, but um, I think as a leader, you have to have an abundance mindset. You have to have a giving mindset. You have to be willing to, um, you know, let go of everything that comes your way, because if you have that mindset right now, then you shouldn't even be thinking of um, having people on your team, because if you want to ever deal to yourself, then sure, um, that's a different kind of mindset there. And there are those kind of people out there that crush it, you know, in in my market that are solo agents that just don't you know work with anyone else but themselves, maybe one assistant because they like doing all the transactions on their own. I wanted to grow, you know, I had different reasons. It, my reasoning for starting JLM Real Estate wasn't for money. It was to grow, you know, a great company culture, uh, create great relationships of young, hungry, motivated individuals like myself, and eventually just do a lot of business together and enjoy the ride. So um, I think if you're starting a team just for the sake of making more money, I think that's a, um, a structure where you're going to fail because if you want to make the most money possible, it's honestly just better to be a solo agent who crushes it because you don't have to manage anyone. The only person you know you have to worry about is yourself and you're doing all the deals, making all the commissions. So um, I think you just got to assess yourself as a person and what kind of business you want to run in the future. Yeah. What's your average price point out there that you guys service? Uh, average is 2 million. The 2 million. And is it, is it commercial? Is it multifamily that you guys spoke, specialize in? Yeah, so multifamily is kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of a mix of both because multifamily, two to four units is still considered residential uh, financing, residential transactions, um, whereas anything above five units is considered commercial, commercial financing, different rules, different tax stuff. But yeah, um, 
So we, we do a little bit of both, mostly five plus, but um, you know, we do a good amount of you know three to four unit sales as well. Okay, so you still do some duplexes, some fourplexes where you can get the traditional financing on it, but the, where you guys thrive is like that five and above, where it's maybe a little bit more complicated, a little bit more savvy of a transaction, um, slightly different. How about you yourself as an investor? I know that you've like in, started investing yourself. I think has it been mostly multifamily? Yeah, to answer that first part, it's actually funny. You may think that uh, the, the five and above transactions might be tougher, you know, with more savvy investors, but it's actually funny. The more, the bigger the transaction has been, the easier the transaction has been for me. It's like the hardest part is getting the deal and getting that trust from a client from like a bigger transaction. But like once you have the trust, once you have the deal, like the actual transaction is much easier than like selling a duplex or even selling a single family home. I mean, my my girlfriend, uh, you know, is a single family residential agent and um, some of the things she deals with, I definitely couldn't deal with. So um, it, it's actually much more numbers based, much less emotional and commercial, uh, which I like. But yeah, um, you know, as an investor, I started uh, with a duplex and then I kind of worked my way up, um, you know, bought like 11 or 12 properties, like a deal a month in 2021 after I saved up a good amount of commission uh, with my partner. And then we bought a bunch of fourplexes, bought a bunch of fiveplexes, and then we fixed them up, renovated them sold them and then a 1031 tax deferred exchange into eight to 10 to 16 unit properties. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how uh, my investing journey has gone. I think it's really, really great to start as a first time investor. If you're an agent making a lot of money to buy your first you know, duplex or fourplex with an FHA, three and a half, five percent down loan, uh, live in the property for six to 12 months and then uh, move out and uh, rent it or you know sell it for a profit and you know buy a bigger one. So. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get into real estate and it doesn't require a lot of money down. Yeah. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui. Thank you for letting me interrupt for a second. I've got something really, really important to talk about. You know how last year we kept talking about that mastermind. What is the mastermind? What are we talking about with that mastermind? Last May, there's like 60 or 70 people of you listeners that had never met, flew out to Austin, Texas. We all hung out at this awesome event center and we spent a couple days with some great guest speakers talking about skills and strategies to succeed in real estate. And then we had these mastermind tables where everyone rotated, everyone got to meet everybody, everyone got to provide value. Some of the agents there had only done one or two deals ever. Some of the agents there had done hundreds of deals and they all got to interact and help each other build their business and build their strategies. And I've heard so many stories of friendships that came from that, of referrals that have come from that. There were six or seven people at that one that heard me talk about doing an Ironman and we all did an Ironman together in in North Carolina last month and we had never even met before the podcast live. So the it was, it's, it's been such, such a cool experience. The I would love it for you guys to come. Today's March 6th through 8th. The signups right now, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind. We also have a room block set up. It's three days, downtown Austin, great, really cool hotel, really cool uh, convention center that we're going to be hosting it. And we're going to get a chance to, I can't wait to meet you guys. I can't wait for you to meet other listeners. I can't wait for you to develop these new interactions. And really what we're teaching, yeah, last year was like, how do you make a business better? But the market was just starting to turn. And I was trying to give some people some advice of what to do when it, when it was happening. Now it has turned. And this time we're going to be talking so much about how to pivot and what to do next. So uh, again, I hope you signed up for the mastermind. Sorry for such the long advertisement, but I can't wait to meet you. Ibendigital.com forward slash mastermind.
So when someone is trying to figure out what commercial team to join or what commercial brokerage to join um, or whether they should go from residential to commercial, what advice would you give them? First piece of advice I would say is make sure you work with a broker who's still very involved in the business. That's actually, you know, in the office every day that's willing to, you know, help a new agent. Um, the reason why the commercial real estate world is a revolving door. So many agents come in and out is because they work under a broker who's been doing it for 20, 30 years, who's almost checked out, doesn't want to find their own deals anymore. So they hire, you know, a newcomer and they expect them to just kind of learn everything, throw them in the fire. Uh, don't really help them much. So I've seen that, um, you know, with other companies and, um, that is kind of the, the most important thing you should look for is if you're someone who's looking to jump into commercial or jump into real estate in general, like is the person that's going to, that you're going to spend time with, are they willing to invest time into you? Because if they're not willing to invest time into you and they just see you as a, as a lead generator, uh, that's the biggest red flag to move to a different team as soon as possible. Other piece of advice I can give is, you know, with residential, um, there's a lot of other like methods of lead generation that work well. Like, um, you know, if you hate dialing the phones, which most people do, you can, you know, still work social media and other platforms. But in commercial, you have to be on the phones because a lot of people are old school, a lot of older owners in their 70s, 80s. They don't have Facebook or go on Facebook or go on Instagram. So you got to reach out to them directly on the phone and see if they're looking to buy or sell. Um, so yeah, I'd say commercial is a lot more archaic than the residential world at this point. That's a, that makes a lot of sense. That's like such a, a great comparison. Yeah. So much of commercial, the, the traditional stuff that people are using for marketing or being able to even find the owner because you like, say, if you send a, a miscellaneous text to some outbound text or the mailer or the letter, She's not going to get you quite like getting the right person on the phone at the right time. What have you seen with like prices in the last year since rates went up? And I think something that I've seen personally with it, you know, the, the so mortgage rates for houses are the fed impacts them, but you could have the fed raise rates, but actually have interest rate go down. Right. So you can have the 30 year mortgage go down at the same week that the Fed raises rates because they're related, but not tied directly. But most commercial loans, most commercial loans that I've been tied to, especially like development type loans or types when we're like, we're going to buy this as a value add proper property, um, is directly tied to the Fed fund rate. You know, our lines of credit are directly tied to the Fed fund rate. And so we're seeing rates that are what I've seen on we're trying to like refinance apartment complexes and stuff like, well, we're at eight and a half percent and things like that. So yeah. and I think most residential people wouldn't imagine that. So it's a big thing when you get into commercial lending, especially I think when you get over that one to four unit. Is it the same for you out there? Have you seen these like crazy rates now for like the bigger commercial stuff? Is that affecting pricing? And how are you guys dealing with that? Yeah. On the residential side, um, I'm, I'm tuned in with that side as well. So um, yes, the, I think the biggest thing it's done to Southern California is it's just taken a lot of people out of the buyer pool. I think the competition has become a lot less in both residential and commercial. Um, not a lot of investors looking to uh, buy right now at the higher rates. But I think 
now here in January of 2023, we're seeing more and more people get used to like the new normal. Um, so we are seeing more deal flow happening. Um, for prices, I mean, you know, nationwide, I mean, in most places, if you look on the headlines, inventory is up, you know, significantly in, in a lot of markets. But in San Diego, inventory is down 1.3%, even from the, the lowest of lows. So inventory here is still super low. There's not a lot of people who are, you know, in pain looking to sell their property. There's a lot of equity built here in San Diego. A lot of people own their property all cash, so they don't really have a lot of pain. Also, there's a lot of other economic factors like uh, according to Sandag, you know, the biggest San Diego um, analytical housing company, whatever, uh, they said that we're 70,000 homes uh, behind on housing the amount of people that need to live in San Diego. And in 2019, 20, 21, 22, the past four years, uh, developers have built less than 5,000 units a year. So the gap is only widening and widening. So when that happens, you know, it creates affordability issues. And when that happens, obviously rents go up because there's not as, there's not as many units to, uh, to survive the demand of people who want to rent in San Diego. Uh, it sucks for tenants, but uh, for investors, that keeps values up because uh, the easiest way for values to go down for investment properties is when rents go down. So we're still seeing lower cap rates here. We're still seeing rents stay high up. So we're not really seeing a lot of pain in this market. Do you, and do you think that's going to, you think that'll stay? Do you think that the San Diego, that's just the demand of San Diego, Washington DC is a great example where the price has just gone up every month for the past 25 years, right? Like they just haven't seen corrections ever. And before the last few years, Texas was kind of like that, regardless of what was going on everywhere else. Does it feel like San Diego is immune to some of that other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, of course, don't have a crystal ball, but I just listen to people who are a lot smarter than myself. And there's just a lot of other economic factors that are affecting San Diego positively than just like the, the rise of rates or um, the recession we have going on. A huge thing here is like the biotech industry is blowing up in San Diego and that's creating a lot of high wage income jobs. And um, a lot of those people, you know, need homes, need housing. Apple just invested um, millions and millions of dollars into a new facility here in North County, San Diego. So there's a lot of positive economic factors. I do think, you know, of course, there's always a chance that something could happen. There could be, you know, um, pain that comes up. I don't know, but um, not a lot of signs point to, you know, like a huge, you know, falling of the sky. I mean, of course, there's always people in pain in any market. There's always good deals to be had. But like as, as a whole, I just don't see the market plummeting as a whole. In the in commercial right now for the deals that are happening, are they are most of them financed or all of them financed or are most of them cash? Is it has that changed as rates have gone up? Has who the buyer is changed much? It's a great question. So there's a lot of there's always a lot of um, 1031 exchange buyers in San Diego, and if you don't know what a 1031 exchange is, it's when you sell a property and you have. Uh, 45 days to identify a property you want to buy and 180 days or six months to close. And the reason why 1031 exchange buyers are so motivated is because if they don't find a property in 45 days, they'll have a huge capital gains uh, liability, uh, you know, anywhere from 25 to 40%. So that's a lot of money. So those people have to find a property to buy. So we're seeing a lot of those buyers still buying in San Diego by the beach. 
Um, the cap rates are still very low, like very, very low cash flow compared to the price. But um, anywhere close to the water in San Diego has been pretty bulletproof. Um, rents are still high. Values aren't coming down at all. Values are up by the beach still. Um, so we're seeing a lot of cash buyers by the beach. You know, in the lesser areas, um, there are people are having trouble selling their properties. Like uh, the worst areas of San Diego, um, not a lot of people want to be in those areas. So those people have to sell for higher returns, higher cash flow. Those values are down a little bit for sure. So yeah, overall as a whole, it kind of depends on like where you're exactly looking. The buyer profile has stayed pretty much the same, but there's just a lot less people out there actively looking right now. Yeah. And then the, so as you guys are growing, any new methods or pivots or things that you guys are planning to implement this next year to try to, you know, grow? I know you said you're going to try to grow your team or like, you know, grow market share, anything that you're really intentional, like this is going to be something new we're going to do this year? We are going to stick to what we've been doing, but um, I myself have been kind of leading the charge. There's not a lot of um, commercial real estate brokers who are on, you know, on socials, online, making content. So, um, you know, creating content and trying to educate new investors online is like a huge thing I'm pushing this year. Um, so that's something that I want to add. We, we started last year, but like this year, I really want to go, you know, all in on it and try to um, help the, the younger generation, you know, that household that, you know, just started maybe had a kid moving to their house, but has some extra cash to invest into like a duplex or a fourplex and wants to get started on their investing journey. Um, definitely want to help those people out as well, because that's a very underserved community because a lot of those people that try to buy their first investment, they don't know any better. And they'll talk to an agent that focuses on single family homes. And, and a lot of those agents don't know anything about, you know, dealing with tenants, what a cap rate is, you know, how to, how to value investment property. So um, definitely want to like tap into that kind of, niche of buyers and investors. Yeah. I think that's super smart, Jason. And I think for, and I think for listeners out there too, in these other markets, like one of the things that Jason said early on was, you know, you commercial traditionally isn't marketed the same way because most of the commercial buyers are, are commercial sellers. Most of the commercial owners are different age pool, different technology pool. You know, they've been around for a long time. The, you know, we have a, we have a client of ours that he owned an apartment complex for like 15 years in California and he sold it and he 1031 into an investment with us. And the, and yeah, that, that we weren't, we weren't going to find him on social media, but what there is, what is happening now that, you know, that the bigger pockets podcast over the last five years has, has done right. What, what, what we've done what there's so many of us is investors are investing in real estate uh, younger and younger. Right. And the guy that I just finished interviewing, he started buying apartments a couple of years ago and he's going to be up to a thousand doors by the end of this year. Right. And he's a, he's a younger guy that does social media and stuff like that. So I think your point, Jason, is it's great that there are, although the biggest portion of the market of the people that have, you know, more money for cash or, you know, the people that are going to buy the really, really big stuff traditionally are an older demographic, more established, not going to be doing this. But there are people that are now rising into position. They're rising into this position where, like, I own a I own a fifteen million dollar Class A apartment complex, right? Like the, and you know, ten years ago that would not be normal, you know, for for guys our age to to do that. And so, yeah, I think starting to serve that niche is probably really really good. 
And I think for agents out there nationwide that could be listening, you know, by being on the podcast, you're probably some of the unique people. And if you're starting to do commercial or if you're doing commercial, but you're still doing that old style, I think there is this underserved population that there are more and more people that want to become real estate investors. And they also are hearing what you said, Jason, where you said, look, buying a $5 million apartment is no harder than buying a $1 million apartment is no easier than buying a $10 million apartment. Right? So if you're doing the same amount of effort with the same amount of lending and all that stuff, investors are going to want to start to go bigger into these bigger opportunities and being able to find the person that like, that they can talk to and think like you, I think, I think that's a great thing to go in on right now to grow market share. I do think it's unique. I remember I, I, I used to be a, I used to live in Santa Barbara. I was a home builder in Santa Barbara. I worked for a home builder, you know, when the housing market crashed, you know, in 08, 09, but the, but Santa Barbara was relatively unaffected. I mean, it was, they, they had some corrections, they had some foreclosures, they had some things change, but for the most part, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the same amount. They had, you know, price corrections, things like that. But there's these bigger, bigger properties out there that I think people say, Hey, I want to own that property 20 years from now. Right. No matter what, or, Hey, that's the, that's the sort of property I want to have be in the family forever. And there's some really cool cities out there. So it totally makes sense that in San Diego, there's some areas and some parts of the city that are bulletproof and other parts of the city that aren't. And we're seeing that with our flips right now or our resales or anything else. Like a year ago, you could sell a funky, funky house and it would sell anything that essentially anything that would listed would sell despite, you know, the weird neighbor or the, the scary dog that was sharing fences with. There were things that everybody was overcoming. And now in today's market, if there's something a little bit wrong with something, people are like, no, I'm just not going to want that. So I think it, it, it does sound like San Diego is at least still performing like that. The stuff that's really nice is still going to sell. The fact that there isn't much on the market, I think something that impacts the California sellers too is they have these old property tax rates locked in. Mm -hmm. And if a California seller sells their $3 million house and they go buy another $3 million house, now do they not only have a higher interest rate, but their property tax is going to be like 10 times more than it was because, and, uh, you know, so yeah, so I, I could see that that keeping supply low and keeping prices relatively strong. I'm really curious to see what happens with commercial over this next year for people with such high interest rates, because we've, I've had to walk away from some purchases that I was really, really excited about and some new construction apartments. I was really, really excited about because the interest rate kept it from penciling. Um, and so I'll be really curious to see how many cash buyers come in or if they start looking for discounts or if it just keeps going like clockwork because there's a high enough demand. Yeah, I, it's going to be a definitely going to be a year of a, a lot of change, whether it's in a negative or a positive direction. We'll see. But um, all we can do is control how we spend our day. Right. We've got to just always look for deals. Always got to try to find business, no matter how bad the markets get, no matter how much fear the media tries to uh sell to us, no matter what, all we can do is just, you know, pick up the phone, call an owner and see if we can do a deal. Um, no matter what, there will always be deals happening, even in the worst of times. So um, that's just the mindset that I, I try to carry in, in scarier times or slower times. Yeah, I really like that, man. And even with just what you started the podcast at, I mean, you started the podcast with saying like, hey, you got to talk to 25 people a day. And if you can talk to 25 people a day, then you're going to be okay. Right. Like the, you'll have something to, so even when it's scary, when no transactions are happening, find that rock or that goal in your business and go, no matter what, I'm going to talk, even if it's, I'm going to talk to five people today, or I'm going to talk to like, whatever it is, I'm going to knock on 10 doors today, figure out what you're going to do every day, no matter what, 
because in times that are a little bit more stressful, we can go back to that. Am I doing, uh, am I doing this? Calculate your market share. Even if you're doing half the amount of deals you were doing, maybe you're doing more deals as a percentage of the total market than you were year before. You can see if you're heading in the right direction or not. You know, uh, Jason, the, as we finish up, you know, if somebody wants to talk to you about buying a multifamily in San Diego, they want to learn more about what you're doing. They want to talk to you about your brokerage. Any just final thoughts you want to tell them and then ways that they can go uh, reach you, find out more about you. I think you have a podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you on Aaron if you're, if you're down, but yeah, um, I run a podcast called the multifamily millionaire uh, podcast. I, I usually interview investors and brokers as well, or people in the industry like lenders, developers, stuff like that. Um, but you know, one last piece of advice I can give for someone, especially in times like this where it is slower is, I think you got to focus less on the dollar amount that you want to make and focus more on like, you know, how many people can you meet this year? Because the way to take more market share is to have a book of business that's going to transact when times are good. And if you have a big book of business and you build that now while other people are maybe, you know, on the golf course or not working, whatever it is, because times are slow, uh, that's when you need to capitalize on potentially creating those new relationships that'll blossom for the future and for years to come. And that's the beauty of commercial real estate because you can grow with a client. You can sell a, a client. I sold a client a four unit property. He sold that, bought an eight unit property. He bought a 16 unit property with me and then he sold that and bought 50 units with me. So you can always grow um, with your uh, clients and residential as well. I mean, residential, the good thing about residential real estate is that it's huge for referrals, right? Anyone can be a potential customer in residential. Um, not as many referrals for commercial real estate because the obviously the client pulls a lot less, but um, either way, there's many ways to grow in both industries. And I think if you focus on the contacts now and the amount of people that you can save on your phone to where that person's gonna pick up your call when you pick them up, uh, when you call them up in the bad times or the good times is the most important piece of advice I can give uh, as we close the show. Uh, best way to contact me is just my website, jlmrealestateinc.com. Um, or you can find me on my Instagram or TikTok. I'm pretty active on both. Uh, Jason Joseph Lee is my full name. Yeah. Dude, Jason, this was epic, man. The, uh, it's fun to get to talk about a you know, different form of real estate um, you know, that we don't talk about enough on here and getting to see how it's impacting everybody. And congrats on, on your journey. It's, it's really cool to see what you've been able to do so far and what you're going to be doing over this next year. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one, and I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have, and also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there so go give us a review also be sure to go to hybendigital.com if you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free 
Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.